All right, I'm, I'm done. Guys, I have a privilege of introducing Pastor Emily. She is one of the fieriest Jesus freaks I know, and that's a term of endearment. She's going to bring a word and then a challenge, and then I'm going to come up and we're going to talk about a way you can partner with God to see hundreds of kids encounter the good news of Jesus Christ. All in favor, say amen. Give it up for Emily. Good morning, you guys. How's everybody feeling? Everybody good? You guys all awake? Everybody awake? Good. Well, awesome. Um, All right, you guys. Well, I'm going to just read you guys a scripture real quick, and you guys are just going to have to bear with me because I'm used to speaking to teenagers, so usually I talk really fast to try to keep their attention, and usually I talk really short, you know, so that they can go and, like, run around and be crazy again. So today I'm like, oh, I have to talk to adults, so I'm going to try to, like, drag it out and, like, talk slower, you know, so just bear with me. If I don't do a great job, you know, this isn't my normal audience. So we'll just see how this goes. Um, So today, Chad asked me to talk about how God is like our peace, like our source of peace. And so I was just thinking about this story, and I want to share it with you guys. If we can get it up on there, it is the one where Jesus is on the lake with his followers. So I'm going to read it out. This is Mark 4, 38, and it says, Jesus was inside the boat sleeping with his head on a pillow. Yep, we got it. That's okay. It doesn't have to be the same version. So, okay, he was, he was sleeping with his head on the pillow. The followers went and woke him, and they said, Teacher, don't you care about us? We are going to drown. Jesus stood up and gave a command to the wind and the water, and he said, Quiet, be still. Then the wind stopped, and the lake became calm, and he said to his followers, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I was, I usually read like the easiest versions possible to the kids, you know, so they really understand it. But here we are talking to adults. So I'm going to read you guys the King James today. Are you guys ready for the King James? All right. Here's, do do we have King James that we can throw up on there? It says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? So there you go. You guys, you're welcome. Two versions today on the same day. Um, So I kind of relate to this story a little bit because uh, I too once had this uh, time where I was kind of like on the water and, uh, you know, I was a little bit afraid. Uh, So the story kind of starts out where basically it was a free fishing day. Do you guys know about free fishing day? Once in a blue moon, the government is nice to us. They're like, you don't need a, a fishing license today. Go catch catch some fish. It's free fishing day. Everyone can go fishing. And so I never know when these days are happening because I'm not like an an uber fisher person, but usually like I'll catch wind of it. Somebody that I'm friends with, usually one of my siblings is like, hey, it's free fishing day. You want to go? And like, I'm the type of person that if I'm like 80 or 90% sure that I'm going to have a pretty good time, like I'll go. And so, um, so they, this was a free fishing day. And so we were going to get kayaks, which we don't have any kayaks. So we had to go to 
my friend's house, borrow some kayaks, put them in the back of the thing. And this was kind of like a last minute planned trip. Like we kind of planned it the night before. We were like, free fishing day, let's all go. We'll go get the kayaks, we'll go to the thing. So as we load in the kayaks, we realize we're one kayak short. But you know, no problem. Like this is gonna be totally fine. Because I knew if we would go to Walmart, we could just get a little floaty thing. And then one of us ended up being me, you know, could sit in it and just, it could drag behind the kayaks. And so, so we did that. We got the kayaks and we go to Walmart, we get the little tube. And then as we're driving to the beach, you know, I like to listen to the radio when I drive. And so we're listening to the radio and they pause the music and you know how the news comes on every little bit, like, oh, this happened, that happened. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe we were flipping through stations. But anyways, we caught wind. Um, There was a report and they were like, so earlier today, this surfer lady was out in Pismo Beach. Now we were going to Avila. The surfer lady is out in Pismo Beach and she was attacked by a shark. (laughs) And so I'm listening to that and I was like, oh, that really? Was that today? That was today that that happened? I was like, well, good thing we're going to Avila. (laughs) So, uh, so, you know, no problem. We, we blow up our tube and now I'm, you know, I'm a person of faith, you know, I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. So I was like, I'm going to be fine. The sharks in Pismo, I'm in Avila. We're good. And then plus, like, I know how like the breakwater things work. There's like all these, you know, barriers there. So the fish would have to be pretty determined if he wanted to come and try to eat me. And I was just figuring like, he's probably not that determined. And so, so we got out there, we connected my little inner tube to the back of uh, my brother-in-law's thing. Now this was actually working out pretty good for me because anytime I get to go on a boat and just chill in an inner tube and somebody else is doing the rowing and I'm just being towed behind, it's a good day. You know what I'm saying? And so I didn't have to do any work. And, and here we are, we're going out to the breakwater, we're going to fish. Um, and, and as we're going now, my mom, she's here and she's here today. She never really let me watch scary movies when I was a kid. So I didn't really like, I'm not super familiar with the theme music of Jaws. Um, but I have seen Nemo. And so, um, as we're, as we're floating out there, just all that's rolling through my mind is shark bait. Ooh, ha ha. Like just over and over again, shark bait. Ooh, ha. Do you guys remember that from Finding Nemo? And so literally that's just like playing in my head I'm like no jingle bells you know like something else um, but it wasn't really working and so um, so as we're doing this like I'm just kind of getting a little like oh, we're getting to like deeper water now not really sure how this is going to go and and one of my siblings I'm not sure which one of them they kind of had the idea like as we're in the middle of you know Avila they're like hey Emily and like this is as we're like passing like this little otter now I'm thinking like hey as long as the otter is right by me, if I was a shark, I'd pick the otter, you know? Like, you pick the little... So I'm like, I think we're going to be fine. But one of my siblings was like, hey, like, you probably should just get in the kayak and just be like a plus one in the kayak instead of like on the little inner tube. And so I don't know why we didn't think about that before. <laughs> but anyways, um, so then we're like in the water and I'm like trying to like climb onto, you know, the kayak from the tube. And then I'm like all the way in the water. I'm like, how is this better? <laughs> um, so anyways, but it all worked out. I lived, I survived. And so praise be to Jesus, I lived. And so uh, anyhow, so I was thinking about that because, you know, these disciples, it's not like they didn't have a legitimate reason to be afraid. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they were just like little pansies, you know, like, oh, storm, you know, like they actually 
thought they were going to die. You know, they were like pretty sure that like they were going to drown. And so not quite as bad as a shark, but you know, drowning is still bad. So, um, so they were worried. And, um, so I was just thinking about how, like, how sometimes, uh, we don't realize, but, um, Jesus, Jesus in this story, he is the, the source of peace. So here's how it goes. They're, they're all, they're all in the boat freaking out. And the Bible says that Jesus is asleep on a pillow. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but like, I, I am, I'm not the best sleeper in the world. Like the minute I hear a sound or like a movie playing in the background, like I'll have teenagers stay at my house and they're like on a different timeline than me. They stay up till like, I don't know, 5 a.m. And so I'll be asleep and like I go to bed at a nice early hour, like midnight, and then I'll hear them playing a movie at like 2 a.m. And I'm just like, no, like I'm, I'm not sleeping if there's a movie on, like I'm awake, you know? And so I gotta have them shut that down. And so I'm just thinking like, how is Jesus asleep in the middle of like so much turbulence? Like, have you guys been on an airplane that has turbulence before? Like, it's not a good day. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm just like, how much peace does it actually take for you to be sleeping, like not even like fully conscious during like a crazy turbulent storm? But the Bible says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So here's what it says. Oh, where did it go? Here it is. It says, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's the name of God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm thinking about this because I, you know, I work with teenagers and like if I could count on my hand I would need a lot more hands to count the amount of times that they tell me yeah I had like a panic attack I had like an anxiety attack and like I'm not belittling that because that's real they really are but I'm like like none of my friends had panic attacks when I was younger like where is this coming from like anxiety disorders everywhere like I'm not belittling it it's real it's happening but I'm just like where is this coming from like our next generation is like dealing with anxiety and panic attacks and all this stuff that like when I was younger like most of my friends it was like yeah, I had a bad day but it wasn't like I had a panic attack now I'm at a mental place like all this stuff that our kids are dealing with and I'm always surprised I'm like what's going on and and you know there's lots of studies that have been done some people think it's social media the comparison rate some people think it's you know the lack of being able to shut your brain off or actually process through what's happening in the now you're never really fully present and some of that leads to just unhealthy mental uh, habits and stuff but I'm just thinking about this and Jesus now he's our prince of peace like what do kids need more than Jesus you know what do kids need more than a sense of peace when their parents are getting divorced you know when everything's falling apart at home when like they can't they don't know if they're gonna get another meal maybe because somebody lost a job or because you know they're moving from house to house in fact a lot of the teenagers in this city that I'm personally uh, connected with a lot of them uh, are not from this country many of them are from Mexico and they've come over and a lot of them aren't even legal. So just to even work and have a meal uh, is, is difficult. It's, it's a process. It's something that doesn't just come like you just go out and get a job and do all that. They have to work hard. And actually, my kids have told me that um, they work, uh, a lot of times they work 12-hour days, six days a week. This is their parents. And in the summer, the kids, even though it's illegal, they, like some of my 12-year-old kids that go to youth group here uh, will get jobs in the summer. They'll work these same 12-hour shifts in the fields. Um, and they don't get paid by the hour. They get paid by the box. So they get paid about seven, seven or eight dollars a box, I think it is. And literally, it's my 12-year-old kids, like, going out, working, and I'm asking them, like, oh, what are you saving up for? They're like, well, I'm just helping to pay the rent. 
you know, like so that we can continue to live here. And it's a whole different ball game. And so when we're thinking about peace, like our kids need the peace of God, right? Um, I could tell you a lot of crazy stories, but I'll save some of them. Um, so one thing that I don't know if y'all are note takers, it's cool if you're not. I always pretend my teenagers are. I'm always like, oh, if you're taking notes today, and like none of them are. But um, anyway, so if you're taking notes, um, so this is what you could write down. Um, you can only deliver peace that you already carry inside. So like Jesus couldn't have spoke to the storm and said, peace be still, if he didn't have peace already inside of him to give away. And sometimes we're like, oh, I want to go help everyone, but we're so full of anxiety. We're so full of, of just uncertainty and just, you know, unrest that how are we going to really bring peace to anybody? Like we've got to have an encounter with the Prince of Peace ourselves. We've got to begin to know what real peace looks like. And so, so here in, in the storm, Jesus, all he has to do is wake up from his sleep and go out and say a word and immediately Immediately, peace shifts the entire atmosphere. And literally, that's the power of our God, that a word from him can shift an entire atmosphere. And in the Bible, it says that we're created in the image of God. We're actually supposed to interact in the same way that Jesus interacted. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth in the same way that it is in heaven. And so as we're on the earth, we're supposed to interact with humanity and with uh, the, the world around us in the same way that Jesus did. And so when he says, peace be still, that's a picture to us. When he rebukes his disciples, he says, why are you afraid? He's saying, where is your source of peace coming from? Where are you drawing your peace from? Why would you be afraid in a crazy storm? Their sense of peace was coming from their circumstances. If you draw your sense of peace from your circumstances, your peace is never going to be secure because it's going to change with the tides. And so here he's saying, why are you afraid? He's really saying, where is your source of peace coming? from. And he says, do you still have no faith? He's saying, you've got the wrong source. You've got to go to the right source if you're going to walk in peace. And so literally, as Jesus is doing this, now the disciples are able to see, oh, we're supposed to actually just carry peace with us even in storms. We're supposed to just be able to go through a crazy situation and not freak out, which is hard for me. I mean, I, I can just only speak for myself. Like, if the printer doesn't work, I'm already freaking out. Like, Chad, you know, what's, I can't do ministry if the printer doesn't work, you know? So obviously, I'm not like on Jesus' level yet, you know? We're still working on it, but, um, but that's kind of the idea here. Um, and so peace is often the result of knowing that we're in the will of God. Uh, that's kind of my next point that I'm getting into. Um, I, I think if we don't realize what God's will is for us, it's hard for us to have a sense of inner peace. Um, and so when you're in a will, and now I'm kind of changing it up, has anyone ever like inherited anything? Like a will, like somebody put you in their will, like you were in the will, anybody? <laughs> All right, well, it's okay if you didn't inherit anything, no worries. Maybe you'll leave an inheritance to your kids, you know? Uh, so when you're in a will, you have an inheritance coming. Uh, so inheritances are really cool. And one thing that the Bible says, it says like a godly man or woman leaves an inheritance to their children. And so uh, the mindset for Christians is that I'm going to leave something to my kids that they're going to be able to build on so that they can leave something better to their kids so that every generation uh, of, uh, is a little bit better, a little bit 
stronger. And so, so as Christians, we kind of have to shift our thinking out of what's in it for me and into what am I leaving behind to the next generation? And that's really what inheritance is about. So a godly man and woman leaves an inheritance to their children. Um, and so I had really cool, you know, family lineage that I was just born into, you know, I didn't like pick my family, but here they are. Um, and so they're really cool. And, um, my, my grandpa, um, he was a kind of a funny guy and, uh, he, he just liked to collect things, you know, mostly, um, things that, you know, you don't really know what to do with, but they're kind of cool to look at. Um, and so he, he had this whole collection of clocks, you know, lots of old clocks, lots and lots of old clocks. And, uh, he also had, um, like little, uh, like metal train things that are just like from, you know, from the depression era. Cause that's when he was a kid. And so I think in his mindset, he was like, I'm going to save all these old metal toys for my kids and leave them in inheritance, I, which is amazing, you know, as you should. But I don't know if he was ever thinking like, oh, the like, toys are going to update. They're going to have like iPhones, you know, so it's cool, you know, good on him. He was trying to leave us an inheritance. Um, and so when he passed away, he has, mom, how many grandkids are there uh, from grandpa? It's like a lot, like 18. I don't know. There's a bunch. And so he had a whole bunch of them, but he had stored so much stuff (laughs) that everybody got to go and pick out like a few random little trinkets from grandpa. And so so I remember there's just like a few storage things and like we had to like take turns like oldest to youngest, like pick out the stuff that you want. And we're all kind of like, I don't want that. Like I definitely don't need that. Like (laughs) I guess I could take that, you know, like I'll find a place for it on my wall. It's from grandpa, you know? (laughs) Um, But the thing is, uh, when you have a will, you have an inheritance coming. And so peace is the inheritance of being in God's will. And a lot of times um, you'll hear Christians say things like, do you have a peace about that? You know, when they're trying to make a decision, it's like, oh, I don't know. Do you have a peace about it? Like it, you know, follow where the peace leads, you know, and we're not really hippies, but we talk like hippies sometimes. Um, But peace is the inheritance of being in God's will. And so I think if the disciples in the story had realized that they were actually on a mission from God, that they were actually heading in a direction that was backed by heaven, I don't think they would have freaked out about the storm because I think they would have been like, well, here is Jesus in our boat and here we are doing what he wants us to do. So we're probably not all going to die. You know, God's like literally with us sleeping right here. Um, And so I think sometimes we don't realize like when we're on the right mission, it doesn't matter the circumstance because our peace is in the fact that we're in the will of God. And so peace is the inheritance of being in the will. And so uh, here, when we make decisions in life, um, we've got to realize, like, are we having a peace about it because it's making us feel like we're going to get all our greatest dreams? Or do we have a peace about it because we're like, this is what God would actually want me to do. I'm actually doing what God would desire for me. Um, So God's will, again, if you're taking notes, God's will uh, for us is not centered around our occupation. And if you have any young people in your world, they're kind of thinking about their occupation. What am I going to do with my life? Like, what's coming up next? You know, what should I be? You know, most of them have learned by high school that they're probably not going to be an astronaut. uh, Or, you know, not many of them are planning to be like a great scientist because they're just trying to pass math class at this point. And so um, they're kind of trying to figure out, though, like, what am I going to be? What's my occupation? 
And a lot of times in Christianity, we get, we get our calling mixed up with our occupation. A lot of times we think that in order to be in the will of God, we have to get the right occupation. And then we lose so much peace because we're freaking out about what occupation to choose that is the one that God wants for us. And sometimes we freak out. We're like, ah, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I should work at this place or at that place. And like, especially for college students, it's hard because they don't have a degree. They don't get to pick what occupation they want. They're going to work at Starbucks or CVS or Walmart or, you know, their babysit. And so if they think that, that the will of God is based around their occupation, they're going to lose all their peace because they're going to be freaking out because sometimes you don't get to have the occupation that you think you want or that you think you feel called to. And so the thing is, uh, the will of God is not so much about our occupation. It's about the mission of God. And we can live on mission for God no matter what our occupation is because the mission of God transcends every occupation. You know, when Peter was in prison, he was still in the will of God. He wasn't earning money for his family. He wasn't providing. He wasn't working. He wasn't building money and revenue and giving to the kingdom. He was in a prison cell and yet he was in the will of God because he was on mission. He was on the right mission. And so he had perfect peace in that situation because the peace of God is connected to the mission of God, not your occupation, not what you do with your, uh, your, your nine to five. And so your nine to five is meant to be built around the mission of God. And so, uh, same thing with Paul, you know, he was shipwrecked on an island yet he's still in the will of God. You can't actually miss the will of God if you're living on in mission with God. You can't miss it. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, if you're living on mission, you can't miss the will of God. And you can get a whole lot more peace when you realize will of God, mission equals peace. It's all connected. And so God is not, uh, his will is not centered around our occupation. Um, and so kind of along this theme, I want to show you guys a video because I'm going to transition into talking about some stuff that's kind of up and coming. So let's play that video. So I got saved in, in 2007 and then in 2009, uh, our church brought uh, the youth to a camp. It, it was a place called Spirit West Coast. There's about a thousand kids. It's about four or five days long incredible uh, and I remember during one of the sessions you know the worship team was playing music and I just kind of felt like getting alone so I, I leave the front of the stage area and I go to the back just by myself and I'm just praying in the back and that's when all of a sudden everything around me started to quiet down it wasn't that the music was going down or the sound guy was turning anything down but all of a sudden all the the noise of life was being turned down and I heard this voice uh, speak to me Instantly, I start weeping because I know this is this is crazy. Nothing like this has ever happened. I start weeping, and I'm thinking to myself, "Man, like, you know, I know this is God. God, how could you be telling me something like this? Like, don't you see my brokenness? Don't you see my my hiccups? Don't you see my mistakes? Don't you? All these things are going through my mind. And and God once again speaks to me and says, "I'm going to save the high schools of America, and I want to partner with your life to do it." And the Lord says this, he says, uh, what will come through this movement will be the restoration of prayer to schools. Now, there's moments where God interrupts your life. And in those moments, uh, it could be an interruption or you can take it as an invitation. And I really believe that his interruption that day became my invitation. And I feel like some of the most darkest places, you know, uh, is, where, is where Jesus wants to shine the most. And it's not with, it's not with, you know, systems or or uh, formats or certain ways of you know programs it's really with just authentic raw love you know i've had a lot of people tell me you know kids just go to your meetings because of donuts because of pizza 
and uh, that may be very well true as when I was in high school, you tell me free pizza and donuts, I'll be there in a heartbeat. But what I've seen in these years is what they come in for is not what they leave with. I feel like I can sit there all day and I can preach at someone or I can demonstrate love in simple ways. They've told me, hey, I don't agree with you, but I feel something different in this room. There's something different about these meetings. There's something different about when, when we come here, you know, we just, there's so much love in this room. And you know, Jesus said it. He said, the world will know you're my disciples, not by our ministries or by our miracles or by even how much we feed people. He said, people will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. hardest time was the first year that I was with Brian. I think what, what made me want to stay though, it was in the high schools, it was in the, the big dream, it was in the, you know, those amazing moments that I was having with, with the team. That didn't want to make me stay, but it was just my obedience to God because I did not want to miss out on what God had for me. Uh, you know, our story was one that I never, uh, I never thought or uh, considered it ever be written in a book. You know, I never did it to write a book. I just kind of lived life, and through living life, kind of came out to what it is today. Uh, I do believe more than ever, though, that, yeah, that uh, the story of the Jesus Club. Um, so this dude is Brian Barcelona. We can just cut it. It's good. Uh, that guy is Brian Barcelona, and what you've been seeing, all the, all this footage is actual real footage of uh, Jesus Clubs that um, originally were started by him and his crew uh, down in L.A. area, Pasadena, and now uh, his mission and his vision has been to spread the idea of Jesus Clubs all to different regions around, first California, but he really wants to spread across the United States, and the idea is that kids don't just show up to church magically. In fact, kids will rarely even show up at church when they're invited. It's just not easy uh, to get a kid to go from, I never go to church, to go like, yeah, I have, church sounds fun. You know, like, church doesn't really sound fun to kids most of the time. Like, even if you, like, try to pump it up, like, oh, we're gonna have, like, a band, you know, like, 
I don't know, you can, or like, we're going to feed you. Like, even that, like our kids, you know, we, we have fun every time we have pizza and like, uh, my kids will still tell me like, oh, I've been inviting this kid and inviting him and inviting him and he doesn't want to come. And like, he's never set foot in the church. He doesn't know what he would experience. He doesn't know what it would be like. He doesn't know if he would like it or not. He's just decided because it's church that it sounds like it wouldn't be cool. And it sounds like a place he wouldn't want to go. And so that's kind of the reality of young people. And so knowing this, so Brian Barcelona was actually a youth pastor um, before he got into this whole Jesus club thing. And so knowing this about teenagers, he thought to himself, which is brilliant thought from God, um, why would we try so hard to, to lure kids into a church setting just to expose them to Jesus when we could just so much more easily go to where the kids are and talk to them about Jesus on their own turf? Like how many more kids we could reach if we didn't have to invite them to a church? How many more kids we could actually preach the gospel to if we would just go to where they're at and we didn't have to like, you know, try to talk them into showing up to youth night. And so his whole idea was like, we need to be in the schools. And, and this was something that God spoke to him about. And so he would go and, and he would, you know, talk to schools and work out plans and ideas of how to get in. And literally some of his clubs that he's running have as many as 600 high school students that are attending and hearing the gospel. And some of those students, like, I don't know if you know a lot about, about how it is in youth ministry, but something that I've been learning as I've been going along is the fact Kids' parents don't always want to take them to church because a lot of kids' parents aren't even going to church themselves. They don't have a value for it. They don't have time for it. They're working or they're going on dates with guys or girls or they're doing things in their home, cleaning house or, you know, watching TV. And they don't always want to take their kid to church. And that's just the reality for most, most teenagers because most teenagers these days don't have safe parents, it seems like. And so the deal is... Unless we reach them where they're at, um, we're going to lose a whole generation of teenagers. That's the reality. If you look at statistics in America, that is the, the, not just the future, but it's actually the present. We're at, we've actually lost a lot of the last generation. We lost a lot of the 20-somethings already. We didn't reach them, and now they're, they're just kind of missing. You know, If you look around, you don't see a whole lot of 20-somethings, even in our own church. It's just a church all around. It's a church-wide issue because we miss that generation. And so what we want to do is we don't want to miss the next generation. We don't want to miss another whole crew of people being raised up and the time to to find out and to to get get you know on track with God is before age 14 that's statistically you have to you know that if you're going to get them it's got to be before age 14 look at all the statistics it will tell you that so even in high school you're a little behind the game not that you can't reach them because we are, uh, you know, we not meaning us, but lots of high schoolers are being reached by Jesus clubs. And if you go, even in high schools in this town, um, we have uh, Jesus clubs on uh, lots of different campuses. We have, last year we had Jesus club at Rigetti High. They were, they were having over, you know, 130 kids at Rigetti High School every single Tuesday, feeding them pizza and preaching the gospel to them. And that's at a public school. Um, at Nipomo High, they're having uh, at least, you know, anywhere between 50 to, I think, 100 and something as well at Nipomo High School. Uh, we started, we launched club, not, not our church, but we, meaning other people in the city that are running Jesus Clubs, uh, launched, uh, and this was actually Be Strong Club uh, with Ralph Hernandez that launched at Santa Maria High. Uh, and on the very first club day, we had over 200 kids attend on the very first day. 
And then uh, we launched at Fessler Junior High. This was our church running that last year. And we, we did this super, un, you know, low-key, under-the-radar at Fessler. Fessler's a junior high school, so now we're talking kids that are 12 and 13. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't really have a, uh, a full idea of how much we would be able to do on campus last year because we didn't know a lot of people. We knew the principal, but we didn't have um, a lot of relationships with teachers for, like, sponsors and things like that. So, But the, the principal at Fessler last year would let us come to the school and hang out with the kids. She would let me, she would let me pull a kid out of class just to mentor them if I needed to. She would let me sit in any classroom, you know, just to be present and to help. And, and, and we could go anytime and bring lunch and, and mentor the kids. And, uh, you know, it's crazy when you start talking to these kids. Uh, I had met a handful of them on, um, a day where we were mentoring them. Uh, and I followed up with them. I started having lunch with them every week. And about the third time that we sat down to have lunch with these kids, two of the kids shared to me crimes that had been committed in their house to them or to one of their family members by another person in their household that week. And literally, I I went from having lunch like, hey, how was your week, to hearing a report of two crimes, pretty big things, to then me telling the principal and the principal then having to take legal action. Those people were sent to jail, you know, and that's the stuff that is coming out just as we're having lunch. Like, how was your week? Well, this happened to me this week. Well, this happened to my mom this week. And so literally two people now sent to jail. After that happened, the principal was like, oh my gosh, like, what are you doing? Like, you're going to need to have a counselor present if you're going to talk about this stuff. And I was like, I'm, I'm cool with having a counselor present. All I asked them was how their week went, you know, like, that's it, you know? And then she had to think about it for a while, like, cause she was pretty, you know, it was kind of big stuff. And she was like, man, like, I don't know if this is okay for them to share this with you. So she had to think about it for a while. And then she came back to me and she was like, you know what? We need a safe place for our kids to be able to talk about what's going on in their life. We need people. Cause literally one thing that had happened to this girl, she, her mom knew about it and the mom hadn't even reported it. And so if she hadn't told me, you know, this person would have not gone to jail. And so literally, you know, she's like, we need safe people that these kids can talk to, that they can go to, to share stuff that's going on that maybe they don't know who else to, to tell. Maybe no one else has said, how was your week going this week? You know, maybe no one else asked them that question. Um, and so that's kind of where we come in. Um, well, this year we launched uh, at uh, New Tech, well, we meaning, again, uh, Be Strong Club with Ralph Hernandez uh, r- launched at New Tech. I got to go on Monday, and uh, they kind of put out, it was like a meet and greet on Monday, and um, got to talk to the kids there, and then they're actually launching like their original like first day, I think, is this Tuesday. So that's coming up, but then us here at this church on uh, on this last Thursday. Now, some of you guys were involved. We did prayer and fasting for 15 days for this. Um, But on Thursday, we had our first day of club. And we had gone and done promo um, the week before where we handed out donuts, invited everybody. um, And then we showed up with the pizzas. Now, we we knew we were going to pack out the classroom. um, And so we provided enough pizza for as many kids as could pack into a classroom, which we thought would be 60 to 80 kids. So we provided enough pizza for 60 to 80 kids. Well, when we got there, you can put up some of the pictures if you want. Um, So I just thought this is taste and see that the Lord is good. That's kind of the whole idea of what this is. Like they need to actually see that God is good, not just hear somebody say it. They need to see that somebody's in their life, that somebody cares about them, that somebody's consistent and not just hear God cares about you, but where's the actual reality of that? And so as we're going on campuses, as we're showing up, uh, they're gonna taste and see that God is good. They're gonna taste and see that when we feed them pizza, that God is good. God provided them with pizza that day. God provided them with mentors that wanted 
know how their week is going that day. So this is Fessler uh, last year um, that we had done club there. This is one of the ones that we had. You can go to the next slide if you want. Uh, this is more from Fessler, so we can go to the next one. And then uh, this is our donut promo at Tommy Koontz. The principal that was the vice principal at Fessler, she's now the head principal at Tommy Koontz, and she's helping us to be successful at Tommy Koontz. She wants our club to, to be awesome there. And so, uh, so this is our donut promo. We set up tables and handed out pizza to everybody. You can go to the next one and the next one after that one too. Yep, this is us. Uh, on Thursday, we brought enough pizza, like I said, for about 60 to 80 students. You could go to the next slide. And then, uh, oh, that's donut promo again. There we go. And then, so this is the classroom. We packed it out and then you can barely see it. But out that door, there was a, a line of students that couldn't get in the door to come to Jesus Club. So once, once we did Jesus Club with them, once we did Jesus Club with them, we had saved the pizza. We wanted to feed them at the end, but we couldn't really feed them all in here because of how packed it was. So we sent them outside and we had them all sit down. And after we fed them, we didn't even, normally, normally with Jesus Club pizza, you're supposed to give every student two pieces of pizza because that's their lunch. If you give them one piece, like they may not get full. So normally you budget for two, two pieces per kid. Well, we were giving them one pizza per kid. And at the end, we counted up how many pizzas we gave away. It was over 150 kids that we fed for Jesus Club, our very first day at Tommy Coots. And so this is just, and you know, you can, you can show that last one. You can see how excited they were about it. Oh, I don't know if we have sound. Can you get the sound on it? Yeah, they're pretty stoked about it. So um, I just want you guys to know, like, it's not... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is this is Haley. Haley, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. My name is Haley. I'm I'm one of the I'm one of the youth leaders. I see a lot of familiar faces. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Bye. <laughs> so, um, Haley is just kind of like a demonstration of how we can bring like the peace of God to be people through like a piece of pizza, you know? Because like how Jesus. How Jesus like had to become a human in order to like bring God to people and sometimes we have to like bring pizza you know in order to bring God to people so um, Haley is just helping us to just get the visual that pizza being brought to kids uh, is how they actually can want to come to hear the gospel because a lot of them wouldn't come if we said come to a church thing come to a Bible study like they're just not gonna come but if we say come and we're gonna have pizza at school you can bet over 150 kids are gonna show and so this this is how we're getting kids to come so we can actually present the gospel to them. Thanks, Haley. You're amazing. Everybody give it up for Haley. She's awesome. So a couple of things that we got feedback after club just our very first time. Um, I had texted our teacher because our teacher um, has kind of gone through a lot of persecution just for being a Christian. She's also African-American on that campus. And there was some racism issues. There was some uh, persecution for being a Christian on that campus. So she'd actually dealt with a lot of kind of negative uh, vibes from that uh, just being there. And so now under new leadership, a lot of things are changing there because Barbara is an amazing leader doing an incredible job, totally shifting the atmosphere, bringing the peace of God like we talked about. And so, uh, so this is, I had texted her after the meeting 
interesting because after we did the donut promo, she told us she thought we may have to change the name of the club. And she was like, she had thought of a new name for it. Like, we're going to call it this maybe. And I had just said like, hey, like we're, we're okay to do whatever. But w- Jesus Club is on lots of campuses at lots of schools. So it, the name isn't actually able to get you in trouble. Like the name isn't bad. Like Christianity is allowed. Like we have freedom of speech, you know? And so I kind of said it nicely, but I was like, Hey, you know, we'll do that if you want, but we do have Jesus clubs on lots of other campuses. And, and you know, that's something that we can do. Um, and so she was kind of like, okay, we'll go with it. We'll do Jesus club. The principal's okay with the name. We'll keep it. Um, and so I texted her like, how did it go? Um, cause she'd gotten some negative feedback after the donut promo with some people being uncomfortable with religion on campus, even though they have the, you know, lots of other things. But anyways, um, so I texted her and she said, I didn't have anyone tell me anything today other than a couple people saying that it was great. I think slowly but surely the people that are believers are coming out to let me know that they're supportive of it. And I just thought how cool that like people can now come out of the woodwork because Jesus is bringing the peace that, you know, his heart for, and his love, you know, and people are seeing that and like, oh, I'm okay now. I'm seeing that it's acceptable to have Jesus on campus. So now I'm going to come out of my box, you know, hey, whatever it takes, you know, if that's what it takes, then awesome. But how cool that we can see a shift begin to happen just from us bringing pizza on campus. Um, uh, one of the students texted me because I try to like get their numbers so I can like hang out with them later in the week. And one of the students texted me, she said, after Jesus Club, I felt very happy and positive. I felt touched by your story. And I just thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Like our very first day there. Um, and then a mom, this is just random. I wasn't even expecting this, but she found me on social media and she sent me this. She said, what a blessing. My little Armando was there. He enjoyed being a part of the Jesus Club and really enjoyed listening to the testimonies. Um, so one thing that we did is we thought, you know what? Rather than try and talk them into, you know, believing Bible stories and scriptures and all that on day one, we thought, how about we just tell them stories about the reality of God? We thought, how about we just tell them how Jesus is real in our lives? Like how we have a God that like is friends with us and like helps us out when we're in a time of need or like heals us when we're sick or like just a story, you know? And so we just thought, what if we just start out that way? We've got lots of time to talk to them about, you know, all the nuts and bolts of what it is to follow Jesus. But what if we just start with like stories of how good he is? you know? And so that's what we did. We started just by telling stories and like, it was just so cool to hear like feedback that kids are touched by that. Kids want to know that God's real, that it's not just an idea or a fad that some people believe in, but he's real. Um, and so this is one thing that guy on the video, this is something that he says, he says, obedience will bring about joy. Cause he, he initially hadn't ever had a heart for teenagers, but he felt the call of God and he, and he followed after the call of God out of obedience, not because he felt like he wanted to. And so this is what he said. He said, obedience will bring about joy, but joy doesn't always bring about obedience. And so uh, God will often call you to things that you don't feel like you have a desire to do. And that's where we get mixed up with the call of God sometimes. Sometimes we think I'm called to do everything I I feel like I want to do. And then everything I feel like I don't want to do, I must not be called to. And that's kind of like where we kind of misinterpret that whole scripture about uh, God will give you the desires of your heart. Um, Sometimes God gives you the things that you want, but sometimes God gives you a desire in your heart. You know, sometimes like you're obedient for so long that you get used to just 
enjoying his peace and enjoying the reward of following him. And then all of a sudden that your desire is to do more of what he's called you to do. And sometimes that's how it works out. Sometimes it's like God asks you to do something and you don't actually want to do it, but that's actually what you're called to do. And that's true when we read about Jonah, right? Jonah was like, Hey, like, I totally know you're calling me to do that, but I really don't want to. So I'm not, I'm going to jump on the ship and totally not obey you. And then God's like, no, you're called to go to those people. He had to reroute him, right? And send him there anyways. Jonah did everything God called him to do, totally not in his own will. Like Jonah was like 100% not trying to obey God. And like, here he is, like, that's what God asked him to do. That's what God created him to do. And so we can't follow our feelings to decide what our calling is. We can't consult like, what do I like to do with all my time? That must be my calling. Like, that's wrong. That's wrong theology. And so, um, so God will often call us to things that we don't have a desire to do, but God is able to give us a desire to do more of his will. He's able to change and mold our heart to want more of what he wants. And so uh, Matthew 9, 37 and 38, it says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. So literally Jesus told the disciples, they should pray that God would send more people to work. And, and that's the mission that we're talking about. When we're talking about we have to know the mission of God, that is the mission, that more people would go out and make disciples, that more people would go and reach lost people. And so that we don't have a readiness issue. On that campus, 100% of those students would be ready for somebody to love them and talk to them about Jesus and tell them stories about how Jesus is real. I don't think any one of those kids would have said, no, don't tell me a story about how God is real in your life. I don't think any of those kids would have said, no, I have plenty of love, I don't need your love, and I don't need God's love. I don't think anybody on that campus has a readiness issue. I think they're all ready. I think the problem is that a lot of times we have a willingness issue. And I'm not saying everybody is capable to go to a campus because a lot of us are working right in the middle of the day. There'd be no way for us to physically show up and be present on campus. So again, your, your field of following the mission of God is going to be different than mine. You know, your, your field of following the mission of God, maybe wherever you're surrounded by lost people, you're just sharing God's love with them right there. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. But again, we don't have a readiness issue. It's not that people aren't ready to be loved. The issue is that we're not always willing to love them. We're not always willing to do what we don't want to do. We're not always willing to get out of our comfort zone and go to Nineveh when we really don't like Ninevites, right? And that was actually Jonah's problem. He was a racist. Jonah was a racist. Um, so many times when we say, I don't feel called, what we really mean is we don't feel a desire to go. And that's just real, you know? A lot of times we say, oh, I don't feel called. God's not calling me to do that. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe you just don't want to go, you know? Uh, and so uh, I don't have time for that story, so I'm not going to tell it. Okay, uh, so your, des- your level of desire will rarely match your level of calling. That's a really important thing to know. Your level of desire is rarely as great as, as the level of what you're called to do. And so a lot of times when you're doing stuff for God, you're not feeling these like warm, but you know, woo, I'm just like in God's will, you know? A lot of times you're like, oh my gosh, this is hard work. I have to like hurry and do this. So now I can do that. And now I have like these other things I have to do. And this is costing me money and this is taking me time. And like, it's not always like, woo, you know, it's a lot easier to stand in a, in a worship session and feel good feelings by singing a song than it is by actually being obedient to what God tells us to do. 
And so a lot of times we'd rather chase the good feeling as long as I get in church service and sing the song and I have my Jesus on and I could do my Bible study, I must be a pretty obedient person when really God's like, well, I don't know. Like, did you go and reach anyone? Like, did you share God's love with anybody? He said you would know that you're the disciple by your love that you have for each other, you know? And like, who do you have love for? People that are just like you? Can you love a Ninevite? Can you love, you know, people that are different than you, that have a different background, that have a different story? And so... um, so uh, anyhow, we're going to wrap up. So 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, um, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. When we talk to people about God, about who he is, it's literally God making an appeal and he's just using us to make that appeal. So sometimes when we're silent and we're quiet and when we don't want to do it, God's having a hard time getting his appeal out there. That's why he said, it's not that we don't have a harvest, it's that we don't have enough workers in the harvest. And so uh, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And that's what we're doing for these students. And the one thing I can tell you that is really cool, I've done youth ministry in other cities in the Central Coast, you know, not like near and far, but like, you know, really near. But um, one thing that's different about Santa Maria is that um, we have a lot of Catholic heritage here. And that is really, really cool because our kids come in, they already have a fear of God. And and when I say fear of God, I mean they already deeply respect the things of God. They deeply respect the place of God. They deeply respect uh, the fact that they're going to sit and hear the word of God. And and when we ask them to pray, they're they're very respectful during their prayer time. All these kids with this Catholic heritage, it's really cool to work with them. They don't know a lot about like the Bible. They don't know a lot of theology. They don't even necessarily have a relationship with God. But they actually have a fear of God, and that's a great place to start because I can't teach a teenager God's fear nearly as well as as I could if I just had a kid that already had a fear of God that I could just like, sweet, you already want to obey God. Like, here's how you do it. You know what I'm saying? So that's what's really cool about this region is that kids come from this amazing Catholic heritage and they already want to please God because of what's been handed down to them from their parents that may not go to church, but at least they taught them that God's bigger than they are, you know? And so um, so anyways, in order to do all of the things that we're doing with getting pizzas onto campuses, we need to raise um, probably actually more now. We had budgeted you know, for less kids than what we're probably going to have. But if we're going to do pizzas on Tommy Coots and also on Fessler, we need um, over $23,000 just to cover all the pizza and and program costs of how that's going to work. And so that's kind of hard for a small church uh, like us. So if you guys can partner with us, give what you can, but then also try to recruit people that have a vision. Some Christians want to give, but they don't know what to give to. Um, Or they want to give to the next generation and help the next generation, but maybe they're like, oh, I suck at talking to teenagers, you know, there's always a way you can get involved, even if it's just to partner with us, you know, giving $20 a a week or whatever it is. And so again, we got to raise over $23,000. That's just for one school year to get pizzas on two campuses. But think of the hundreds of kids that will hear the gospel just from us bringing a pizza, you know, and that's the one thing I'm like, man, like we could sit on a street corner all day and preach about Jesus. But if you go to where the people are at and they're just sitting there excited to hear what you have to say, like how many more people do you think we could reach? you know and it's not hard to get people to know about Jesus you just have to go where they are you have to do what you got to do you know and so we got to raise money and so if you don't have anything to contribute maybe you can maybe you can like find somebody that you know that cares about teenagers that would want to contribute and help us out we're just going to do whatever we can we're just going to be obedient with what we have we're going to go and we're going to just believe that God's going to provide the money Um, but if you guys can and 
are willing to support, uh, at least on some level, some kind of monthly partnership, uh, we're gonna have little cards available so you guys can fill out your information and then it can even just be an online like reoccurring thing. You don't have to think about it. Um, if you're like, I really absolutely can't afford it, but I'm willing to give five bucks this week, this one time, hey, whatever you gotta do, you're sowing into the kingdom. You're sowing into the heart of God for the next generation. So whatever you gotta do. But like I said, maybe you just share the vision with people. Maybe you tell the story. Maybe you show them pictures that we've already put up online. Maybe you just tell them like, hey, there's a harvest and we need more resources. We need more funding. We need help in order to reach. We need laborers, right? And some of us are laborers in our sphere of influence. Some of us are laborers as doctors and lawyers and, uh, you know, estheticians and beauticians and, uh, you know, workers and whatever. We're laborers in different things. But when we sow our money into, into the gospel, it's, it's, like we're, it's like we're going ourselves in a way because we're, we're, we're sowing into the harvest, right? We're giving into it. And so, um, so I just want to pray over you guys real quick and then uh, we're going to wrap up. God, I just thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you are so capable of reaching the next generation. It's not even hard one little bit. It's so easy. And God, I just pray that uh, as we're just faithful to do our part, whatever it is, whatever we can do, however we can partner with your heart, God, I pray that you would just uh, meet us in that place. God, I pray that you would provide for each and every one of these people uh, above and beyond anything they could ask or hope or imagine. And God, I pray that you would meet above and beyond what our need is. God, that we would be able to reach way more kids and what we budgeted to meet. God, I pray that we'd be able to fill bigger than the classrooms that we are given, God, that we'd go to the gyms and then we'd go to the football stadiums, God, that we wouldn't be able to hold and contain all the kids that you're gonna bring into your kingdom, God. And I pray for more workers, God. I pray that you would put it on the hearts of men and women of God to step up and begin to be mentors to the next generation, to begin to put their hand to the plow, even if they don't feel like they want to, God, just a willingness. And God, I pray that you would do that. God, I pray that you would make us willing to do what you have in your heart to do in this region, in this city, in our schools, God. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.